0: Thanks, confidence. Like she said, my name is Rachel Turner, and I've been given the topic of speaking of women in gospel ministry, and I want to speak about that from two perspectives, and I also want to point out that I do realize that I come from the west coast of the United States, so some of what I say may fit into the context in which you do ministry, but some may not, but my prayer as I was planning this was that it would be applicable and encouraging to you in some form or fashion. I want to share with you about what I've learned in ministry um, of my calling by God to gospel ministry and also what I've learned about being mindful and attentive to my own soul. Um, A little bit about me, I've been married for 19 years. I have been in ministry for 19 years, it kind of started on day one. Um, We've raised a son, and we're currently raising two daughters. I planted a church with my husband 16 years ago in Reno called Living Stones. And recently, like six weeks ago, recently moved to L.A., where we are replanting a church in Burbank. And the truth is, to be perfectly honest, um, I never wanted to be a pastor's wife. I thought that was the dumbest idea, and who would ever choose that life? Uh, my sister, who is actually here, she married a man who was planning to be a pastor, and I remember being at their wedding and watching them and just thinking, that's so unfortunate. Like, <laughs> I felt so sorry for her, and I just, I remember waving as they drove away, just like feeling really sorry for her. And then, lo and behold, 13 months later, I married the best man at that wedding, and he was going to be a minister, and that was the end of that story. But over the years, I've learned my specific calling to gospel ministry and truly learned to love my life in ministry, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Women in gospel ministry could be technically called female gospel ministers. They would be women in children's worship and women's ministry, Bible study teachers, missionaries, women who serve at the church. And a small group within that group are pastor's wives. Um, I want to thank all the women in the room. I want to thank all of the women who are in gospel ministry. Thank you for your faithfulness to the truth. And thank you for your devotion to the body of Christ. As women, we are part of what God is doing in the world. Lives are changing because of the planting of churches that preach the gospel. We aren't planting just any churches. We're planting biblically faithful, gospel-centered churches. And I want to share my journey of being in gospel ministry for the last 19 years. Most of what I say, because it's been my personal experience, is going to directly relate to pastors or church planters' wives. But I want to recognize that not every woman in the room is a pastor's wife. So I'm hoping that part of what I say will also apply to all women in gospel ministry. Pastors' wives have uh, frequently asked me, if our husbands are called, does that mean we are called too? And I would say yes and no. Our husbands, as pastors, are called to an office of the church where there's a job description, like a real list for them to follow. And thanks be to God, there is no job description for pastor's wife. There's nothing in scripture that says we have to be hospitable, we have to um, make the best casserole, none of that. But I would say that we are called just because our husbands are called. It's not like our husbands were called to ministry, then he married us, and God's like, okay, well, she can come. I'll figure out something for her. That's not it. We are called to gospel ministry through scripture, just not technically an office of the church. We have a unique calling and a unique purpose that God has given us. And I've learned a lot about this calling. I've learned that my truest and purest calling is child of God. I've also learned that I'm called to love God. It also says clearly in scripture that I'm called to love and serve my family. My primary ministry is my family. I found, though, that seasons of need differ in the church and in the home. When we planted Living Stones 16 years ago... I did everything but preach, really. I mean, I organized the volunteers, the temperature in the room, I organized the snacks, the coffee, sometimes saying, and I was pretty much the executive pastor, just without the title or the cash. (laughs) There was a time when I had small kids. So the need of the home was a little bit higher. I didn't do all those things, but I led a Bible study. Then there was a six-year period where I didn't lead a Bible study. I didn't lead a ministry. I simply functioned as a member of the church. And I want to say to pastor's wives that that is okay. You don't have to do what other people are expecting you to do. Your ministry, your primary ministry is your family. Now I've just moved to L.A. to a much, much smaller church. And I don't know what I'm going to do there yet. I haven't figured that out. But I love what Paul Tripp says about this concept, and it's pretty profound and a little pointed. He says, Many ministry fathers and mothers ease their guilty consciences about their inattention and absence by telling themselves that they are doing the Lord's work. So they accept another missions trip, ministry move, or another evening meeting thinking that their values are solidly biblical when they are consistently neglecting a significant part of what God has called them to. Sadly, their children grow up thinking of Jesus as the one who over and over again took their mom and dad away from them. That notion, deep down, was the seed that kept me from wanting to be in ministry. I didn't want to have any part of that, of my kids or myself being on the altar. So to carry out this value of loving and serving our family, Harvey and I have been intentional And one of the things that we've done is we've established what we call family day. Family day is Saturday. It's like a Sabbath day. He leaves his phone by the bed. He doesn't get on social media. He doesn't answer texts. He doesn't answer phone calls. Nothing. He doesn't do any work. I don't do any laundry, though sometimes I try and he gets on me for that. I don't do... Cleaning around the house. We try to plan food to where I can either eat leftovers or we order out. And our kids know, no matter how busy the week has been, no matter how many either meetings or things like that that we've been doing that week, they know Saturday is family day. And we don't usually do a lot of things with other people either. Like even family. We don't always go to all the things that we're invited to on Saturday because we want our kids to know like that is their day. We are attentive to them. The other six days of the week we devote ourselves as a family to ministry. And that's been important to our kids and to Harvey and I. So I'm called to love and serve my family, but I'm also called to love and serve the body of Christ. So how do you do both? I've been called to be a church member, to love the mission of Christ. The the honest truth is that the relationship between pastor's wife and church can be tricky. It can easily get to where... The wife gets a little bitter, a little resentful, because she sees her husband's affections and time and attention going so much towards the church that she feels like she's in competition with him. And it becomes bride of Christ versus bride of pastor. And honestly, sometimes, not always, but sometimes that's because the pastor is so focused on his success and the advancement of his agenda and his church that his wife and kids are bleeding out on the altar. For the sake of his cause. But I want to be honest, I've been that wife. I've been bitter, and I've been resentful. When our kids were little, Harvey used to travel a lot with Acts 29, and I'll never forget one night, he was leaving the next day to go on some trip, I don't know where it was to, and someone either woke up screaming from a bad dream, or a dirty diaper, or whatever. I don't know what it was, but I had to get up out of bed in the middle of the night, and when I came back to bed, I got into bed, and I pulled the covers over me, and I just sat under my breath, must be nice. Go to hotels and eat out and hang out with your friends. You don't even have to stay here and work. And I went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and Harvey did not look good. He had heard that and never went back to sleep. He was tormented all night because he saw the condition of my soul and felt like he needed to cancel that trip. He needed to change his ministry because it alarmed him the things that were coming out of my mouth, which was coming out of my soul. And I, I, I decided then I didn't want to be that wife. I knew what he was doing had eternal, good implications. And I wanted to be supportive. And I didn't want to be bitter. And so part of the reason that it got to that point was I didn't communicate to him that he's not giving me the attention that I need. And he wasn't being attentive on his own to what I need. So it was kind of a dual thing. But I decided then that wasn't worth it to have that attitude. I believe That Harvey and I can have a partnership of love and affection for the body of Christ because he serves in his giftings and his calling, and I serve in my giftings and my calling. Loving and serving the church looks different for everyone. Some of you women in the room will actually serve in an office of the church. You will be deacons. Some women will or are in full-time ministry. So much of the church rests on the leadership and the commitment of women to the degree That if women did not serve in the capacity that they do, the church, many churches in Acts 29 would function at half the capacity without the women. And I say that I need you all to know, especially the men that are getting a little uncomfortable in the room. Like I am (laughs) complementarian. I believe that men, qualified men, are called to the office of elder. I believe that. So don't get your clergy collar in a wad. I'm just saying that God created man and woman in the image of God. He created them. And it wasn't just like all man had the image and then the wife can just be there. It's like he got some and she got some. And if you have a man, all men in leadership, you are only representing half of the image of God. It requires both to show and manifest the beauty of Christ. I'm called to care for my family, I'm called to care for the church, but I found out the hard way that if I don't take care of my soul and be mindful of my soul, I can't do either. If I dig in and just start serving and keep going with my family, with the church, and I don't take care of my soul, I get to a bad, unhealthy place. How do I care for my soul? I've learned to be in prayer be mindful of my need for Christ. And as a mom, you know, you can't always get up before everybody else and spend two hours in prayer. Sometimes that's praying while you do the dishes, while you're doing the laundry. Maybe you get a time in the car by yourself with no kids who talk all the time and you can turn your radio off and pray then. I care for my soul by being in the Word. It's not always opening it because I don't always have time to sit down and read the Bible. But you can put it in your ear and listen to it read to you while you do things. It's important to me to care for my soul to be in worship, sitting in the church, listening to the Word, being preached, taking the bread and the wine and reminded of the power of the resurrection. That feeds my soul. I need that. To care for my soul, I have to be honest with myself and with my husband. It's been a struggle for me, but crucial to admit that I have needs. Because I would like to pretend like I don't need anybody or anything. I can just do it all on my own, and you can take care of other things because you don't need to take care of me. And in the past, I've actually believed that I can't unload my struggles or my issues on my husband because I saw the weight that he carried bearing the burden of the church, and I didn't feel like, as a pastor's wife, I could add to that. So then... I get all mad and bitter because he doesn't care about what's going on with me. But really what happened is he doesn't know what's going on with me because I never told him what's going on with me. I have to be honest with myself and honest with my husband. When I vocalize my needs, I'm free to admit them that I actually have needs. And one need, one huge need that I have is rest. I need rest to care for my soul. There's an acceptance of grace in rest, because when you're resting, you're acknowledging and believing that your value, my value, doesn't come from anything that I'm doing. I'm simply accepted and loved by God just because of the work of Christ. There's an acceptance of grace in that. And can I just say this, ladies? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. We need the rest. One of the most freeing concepts for me is to create space to do what I enjoy. And a freeing concept to me as a female gospel minister is that I can do what I'm called to do, not what I'm compelled to do or what other people expect me to do. I lived for many years bound to expectations of other people, obligations, and it was miserable. And I discovered a true freedom and power in being myself, doing what I enjoy serving in my giftings and my calling. And I was able to be myself when I began to know myself and declare myself. It's been helpful to me through all this figuring life out, ministry. It's been helpful to me to submit to headship. To submit to the headship of my husband, the leadership of him. But also not every woman in this room is married to a man in ministry or married at all. But we've been given men as a headship and as a pastor and a shepherd. And responding to them, responding to my husband has been incredibly helpful. And I just want to give a shout out to the men in the room. If you are a husband of a woman in ministry, if you're a pastor and you have a pastor's wife, I get it. We're complicated. Like we're incredibly complex. We don't expect you to understand that. But I just want to like maybe give you some insights of like how Harvey has loved me well. And maybe throw you a bone and help you out a little bit. Harvey's been mindful of my walk, my relationship with Christ, the condition of my soul. And uh, he took it very seriously when we got married. And he figured out really quickly that leading me by the law wasn't effective. (laughs) So we get married. We were really young. He was really young. I was really young. And we would go to bed. And we would go to bed. And he would come to bed with the Bible. And I was, that was weird. And we lay there and he'd want to like take the Bible and lay next to me and read a scripture and then pray. And it wasn't like a quick, like going to sleep prayer. It was like a 21 year old Calvinist prayer. (laughs) Like really long. And I fell asleep. I would always fall asleep. And I, and I'm the kind of person I hit the pillow. I'm out. I'm not, I'm like snoring right away. And he would get so mad. He, he'd wake me up and be like, how can you disrespect the word of the Lord? We're praying to the creator of the universe who's holding your body together right now. And you're sleeping. (laughs) Didn't work. But we figured out, well, some of you, some women in the room, that might just make your little heart pitter-patter. Like to think of your husband going to bed with the word with you. That's great. If that works for you, that's great. That did not work for me. What works for us is we talk about scriptures together. We read books together. One in particular that I'm really, really proud of myself for reading and finishing. My new favorite author, Fleming Rutledge, who is a woman, by the way, who wrote a book about this big called The Crucifixion. And that book stirred so many godly, soul-stirring, affection-stirring conversations with my husband about the cross of Christ, and it was beautiful. Harvey's been aware of my need to be in worship when I could have been easily busy out doing other things. He's encouraged me by acknowledging my needs and giving me the permission to say I need something. Sometimes I feel like he can see that I'm going crazy before I know I'm going crazy. Harvey vocalizes appreciation. I know I'm significant. I know that I'm loved because he tells me that I'm loved and that I'm significant. Together, Harvey and I have recognized, and this is probably the, the biggest piece of him loving me well and and taking seriously his headship role. We've recognized the common loneliness of pastor's wives. Through the last 19 years, I've had a deep need for camaraderie, but it's not been guaranteed or easy. Loneliness is a struggle that lead pastor's wives sometimes have a hard time admitting. And other pastor's wives and other women in ministry have a hard time understanding it. It's hard to navigate. In my experience, it's been hard to navigate friendships With elder wives. Especially when their husband works for your husband. It gets difficult. And tricky. Friendships with church members can be tricky. Because they will always look at me through the lens of pastor's wife. And that holds a lot of expectation with it. And there's wisdom in recognizing that. I haven't always had a trusted friend. Some pastor's wives have it. Thanks be to God. Some don't. Even now at my new church, I've only been there six weeks, and I'm making great new friends. But through the ups and downs of friendships, Harvey and I have found that my need for friendship can be met by him. And we've created and nurtured and intentionally created space for us to grow that friendship through dates and trips. And one of the most effective ways that he intentionally leans into that friendship is to sit across from me face-to-face, ask me questions... And then shh. <laughs> Listen. And not fix me, not tell me all the steps that all start with P, how I could like really address that. <laughs> he asks me questions and he listens. Are we called? Yeah, we are. Are we able? No. Not without Christ. None of us have a personal storehouse of wisdom, forgiveness, humility, grace to be in ministry at all. We must have a knowledge of our deep reliance on the power of the resurrected Lord for gospel ministry. There is infinite resourcefulness in the God who gives grace. He gives that grace freely. And like we just heard, that grace is sufficient for us to be in gospel ministry. Being a pastor's wife is hard. Being in ministry is hard. It can bring grief Loss, pain, suffering, it's a sacrifice. All of this is demonstrated to us by Christ. I love how my new favorite author puts it, Fleming Rutledge. Such a life, rightly understood, is uniquely empowering because it is aligned with the self-giving of God and Jesus Christ. What an honor to be included in Christ's suffering and glory. We are giving our lives to the people our Lord died for. When you look into life and ministry, it's a beautiful sacrifice because it has eternal implications. The blind can see. Captives are being set free. The cross is being proclaimed. Souls are being saved. And we are part of that through Acts 29. Thanks be to God.